Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The core values of Dr. John Zalanka in his Ottawa Chiropractic Natural Health Center is based on human health potential, integrity, leadership, trust, and truth. That's a lot to ask when it comes to understanding our health, the mistakes we might not realize we are making, and the shift in thought to actually treat the cause. Now an author of seven books like Healthy Beliefs, Deadly Choices, Changing Lives, Saving Lives, The Science of Vitamins, as well as his newest book, The Science of Brain Health, he continues to work with patients of all ages and with incredibly diverse needs, from Olympians to professional athletes to car accident victims uh, to rehab patients and even newborns. He is referred to as a functional health doctor and also an orthomolecular nutritionist. I'm looking forward to asking about that. The end goal is optimal health for all. There is so much to cover in this episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, as always, for more information, please check out extensionmarketing.com. Dr. Z, it has been a while. It has indeed. I'm uh, I'm so happy to be here, and I'm uh, so nice to see you again. It, it has been a while. Yeah, it has been a long time. I want to let people know that we have done. We were probably thinking between fifty and a hundred. <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> we'll go in that uh, aspect of today's the day, which were just really quick snippets over the years of little things or considerations that people could do to make a change in their daily lives. Absolutely. And, and you know, you call them little things, but the number of people who have come up to me and, and talked about them and the impact that you made by, by doing today's the day with not just me, but so many different health professionals really did make an impact on the health of Ottawa. So congratulations to you on that. Thank you. And you know, what's interesting is I think I took today's the day and what I was passionate about during the show and having that segment. And I think I've pretty much made living your life mm-hmm. <laughs> a longer version of today. Is the day. Absolutely. Yeah, when I when I really think about it, I think that's the best way for me to explain it. And I've really enjoyed having the experts on board. And it's interesting because as I was looking and reading up and knowing that you have now written your seventh book, and we had done so many segments on the first couple of books, just the shift in what you're writing about, what you're talking about, and what you're speaking to your patients about, it's changed like I want to say drastically over the last decade of what you're trying to inform and educate your, your patients about. You're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's something where, you know, uh, oh, wow, you make me think of so many different things when you say that. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's it sort of, um, you know, it, it'd be like the doctor who's been out in practice for 50 years who says, oh, I never need to go to a conference. I never need to do any of that. I've been, I've been treating that, you know, for 50 years now. And what they don't realize is they've been treating it the way it's, it was treated 50 years ago. And times have changed and, and the amount of knowledge that we have. And if you're not keeping up to date, I mean, I don't know if your listeners understand this. It's, it's estimated that the field of knowledge in healthcare changes every four years. And if you understand that most doctors are in school more than four years, obviously, I mean, for, I mean, I spent nine years in school is by the time I'm graduating and I think I'm a new grad, it's already changed from what I learned in first year, second year, third year, you know, and so forth. And so if you don't keep up to date, it's just, it's just crazy. And, uh, and you're um, on so many different levels. 
tools. It's just not, uh, you know, healthcare itself, but the way we absorb information as well. I mean, I, re I remember I would do two hour lectures to my patients and, and I would say, okay, it's time for dinner. And they'd say, no, 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 keep talking. And now for me to get a patient to stick around for two hours would be insane. They want to, they want to hear it in two minutes, you know, type of thing. So absolutely, you're absolutely right on, on all counts. That's interesting. You mean the way we're learning yes. has changed mm -hmm. and you've absolutely. had to adapt. Yes, absolutely. So would, would adapting be a, a main thing as to what you've done and what the practice has done? Is I, adapting to the way patients are expecting to be treated or you realize they need to be treated? Uh, I, I'd like to go with the latter first, um, where, you know, you, you still have to go with what patients need. And, and it's, it's funny you say that you talk about the seven books I've written to this date. I still think my most important book was one of my first, which was uh, healthy, uh, healthy choices, deadly beliefs. Uh, so, and, uh, and in that book, my biggest challenge is not explaining to someone, you know, that their spine should be straight or their nervous system should be functioning properly or, or what good nutrition is or the best structural exercise to do. My biggest challenge is getting people to to change the way they think you know what's going up in their in their head and uh, and I mean, they, they run the same thoughts, they're subjected to the same, you know, dogma or false information, and especially with the explosion of, of the information on the internet, and that information not always being what it should be. And if you don't adapt and find, you know, good ways to get good quality information to patients, then then people are, are suffering or living with stuff they don't need to live with. And, and so, yes, on, on so many different levels, it's not just the changes in healthcare itself, the, the way you deliver that information, the way that, uh, you know, you provide care, the way way that you get patients to understand, you know, what it is that they truly need, what they want and what they need are not always the same mm. thing. And, uh, you know, and, and that absolutely is, is one of my biggest challenges. What they need and what they want. I, mm -hmm. I think that's, yeah. that's the critical part there. And I find linguistics l lingo has changed too. I mean, I'm introducing you and I'm talking about an orthomolecular nutritionist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, can, right. I, can I, I'm just going to ask what that is straight out now before I kind of get into the backstory. Well, that, that would be a perfect example of what we were just talking about is, I mean, you can go online right now and you can get a hundred different opinions on nutrition and everyone believes they have the key to nutrition and they may in fact be right for themselves they may have tried that particular style of nutrition and it worked for them and they assume it's going to work for everybody else what orthomolecular nutrition is all about is is we're really talking at the highest end of nutrition where we're we're getting straight to what's actually happening from a chemistry science point of view there's no opinion in it whatsoever i mean what actually occurs in the biochemical pathway you know, if you consume this versus this combined with this and so forth. So there, there's no opinion, which is, which is really, really nice. Why would people look for answers through orthomolecular nutrition? Is it, is it seeing how individual gut health reacts with a certain food as to if it's breaking it down or not? And IBS, like what, what's the premise or who is it helping? I, I don't know that anyone, and that's, so it's interesting to say that about the lingo. I don't know that anyone would specifically say, okay, I need to go find a good orthomolecular nutritionist. Right. But what it is, is it, it will enable them to finally get the answers they need without any opinion to know what they're getting is going to be long-term for their health as well. I mean, it's not hard to lose weight. I mean, the, the majority of the world has lost weight, but then gained it right back, you know, for instance. And so what they need is they, they need the nutrition is going to last them a lot. Lifetime that will get them the goals that they, not only the goals that they want, uh, but what's actually healthy for the body in terms of optimal function and uh, and so forth. And that's orthomolecular nutrition takes all the opinion out of it. You're you're really getting down to the the actual quality science. You know the biochemical pathways. You know that there is no there is no debate on it. 
Would it be different for every individual? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, there are, you know, there are, uh, we're more alike than we are different. I know people like to think everyone's different and so forth. And the truth is we are all human beings. So for instance, you, you would never see a giraffe go up to a tree and say, well, no, sorry, I, I prefer uh, crunchy bars instead. I'm not going to eat those leaves. So, I mean, all of us as humans have a number of the same core needs when it comes to nutrition, but then there are differences and those differences can be, you know, I'm not a huge fan of genetics. I'm far more a fan of epigenetics, uh, but some of those can be based on, on genetic predisposition. Some of that can be designed on what's un unfortunately what you've allowed to happen into your body. So your body doesn't necessarily respond the, the same way it should be. So there are both, you know, very, uh, a number of similarities, but also there are some key differences as well, uh, depending on what disease you might have let you know, what happened that you don't even know that you have at this point in time. I love that you said the epigenetics and that I actually understood it. Right. My, I, right. I just had the podcast with that uh, Joanna Lynn and I was fascinated by the topic of epigenetics and our genetic imprint and what we're getting from different generations. I found it fascinating. So interesting that it's been brought up two weeks later. It, it is. And, and it was a great episode. I am a, a subscriber, by the way, to your podcast. <laughs> so I mentioned that. And everyone should be, not just, you know, obviously the people listening were preaching to the converted once again. Uh, but I know it's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, I speak about this, you know, get on, getting on epigenetics. I, I speak about this where I have the worst genes in the world. Okay? My, my, my father passed away four years ago now. And you could literally go from head to toe on him with a health condition. I remember as a teenager, the number of times that I would be visiting him in the hospital for, for heart conditions and so forth. Um, but you throw in three different types of cancer. You throw in uh, diverticulitis and osteoporosis and osteoarthritis and, and, and diabetes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my, my mother, uh, you know, uh, attributes uh, surgery she had probably three, four decades ago to having saved her life from cancer. And the number of times, uh, you know, uh, lumps removed from her breast, and again, number of other conditions. So, if it was if it was purely genes, I should just give up right now. Okay? But if you understand that genetics actually plays a much smaller role than epigenetics, and as you know from your podcast, epigenetics, you know, is is your mostly your lifestyle that then allows that gene to be expressed or not be expressed. So it really comes back to we have a lot more in our control than we were ever led to believe. Yes, if we can get our mind around. Well, and that gets back to the first It was a little bit more challenging than that. Okay, so where I was fascinated too by how people, even like when we were talking epigenetics, how it gets to where that individual is or their interest lies. Where was it for you? I'm I'm listening to you saying that as a teenager, you're dealing with incredibly sick parents. So was that a trigger for you in terms of getting into medicine or into like, what was it for you that got you into this field in the first place? It's, it's very interesting you ask that question because I've been thinking about that over just over the past couple of days because I've had a couple of patients ask that as well. So I think it's really twofold. Uh, I mean, number one, I have a number of other people in the family. So my late aunt, was a nutritionist extraordinaire. I mean, you talk now about, um, you know, how uh, people are, are uh, gluten sensitive and so forth. She was talking about that 40 years ago, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, I have uh, ex-sister-in-law who's a chiropractor. My sister is a neonatal nurse. So there's always been that. But then you combine that with what I saw my parents do to themselves, where, you know, my dad unfortunately grew up you know, in, in Poland during World War II. Um, so obviously not a great start to life, but I mean, he'd be smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, I mean, he'd be taking, I don't know, 10, 15 different prescription drugs every day and so forth. And, um, you know, 
it's and when you see that you realize you don't want to be like that as well and that there are better answers and better solutions and that's what's so interesting if you if you take a really good look at the science uh, and not to mention the number of patients i've seen over the years the, the change you can make in people's lives it's, it's actually one of the things that keeps me motivated and keeps me pumped not to sound corny but mm -hmm. i get to use my hands and my brains to get sick people healthy and to keep healthy people healthy and 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 not only that i'm also a huge believer that the word doctor really means teacher so it's not just what i can give you it's it's what i can educate you mm -hmm. to then take the appropriate steps but you had to go through the education of not just trying to make sure you didn't end up like your parents, but to be able to to decide on this. And what was it the difference between deciding to go the medical doc, doctor route or to, to do the chiropractic route? I, th I think at that time, uh, you know, a number of things is, is I saw that the route for my dad, you know, certainly just wasn't working. You could be on 15 different drugs and still had absolutely everything, whereas the whole concept of, of not just going the natural route, but it just, it made more sense. It made sense getting to the underlying cause. It's what I, what I now call the primary health condition that you may have, uh, because most of the symptoms that we see are, are really secondary to something primary happening in the body. And, and people need to understand, you know, another big difference, you know, uh, again, uh, you know, typically in medicine, you know, the belief is you have one disease and there's one cure or treatment for it. So if, for instance, if you have high cholesterol, you take a drug that lowers your cholesterol. True health doesn't really work that way. You should think of true health. Think of, think of a bucket filled with water and maybe 10 different holes in the bucket and you can't go and just plug one hole in the bucket. Everything in the body is connected. And if you take that approach, it's amazing. The difference, you know, one, it's, it's when I talk about the five keys to health, which I've written on, and I think we've done segments. Okay. On so let's like, go through them. So our listener, I'm yes. Okay. Five so, keys to health. okay. So five keys to health. So the biggest thing with the five keys to health is to understand they're all connected to one another. So key number one, obviously is good nutrition. You, you, you literally are what you eat or not so much. You are what you eat, but you are what you absorb versus, you know, uh, you know, and, and what you excrete, so to speak. So that not only gets into quality, you know, nutritional diet and so forth, uh, but also so supplementation is is necessary contrary to those who don't believe it is and that's a whole book that we've written on that one as well number two is certainly exercise and i'm a big believer that we should change the word exercise to the word enjoy because again we've made it a chore it's like oh i got to go out and i've got to run three times this week and i hate going to the gym and so forth imagine if i told you okay i want you to go out and enjoy yourself you know seven times a week you say, great, you know, the doctor's order is great. Um, you know, so that's number two. Number three, sleep. And we know good quality sleep. This is when the body regenerates. It's when it when it recuperates. Uh, we know sleep is involved oh, in, in everything. I mean, you would actually die sooner from a lack of sleep than you would uh, from a lack of food. Um, you know, number, uh, number four, uh, certainly what we've been talking about, positive mental attitude. And that goes way beyond, you know, affirmation saying, oh, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. It's understanding the choices that you make, the thoughts that run through your head. Uh, you know, the, the action you take or the action that you don't take is going to have a huge impact. And then certainly as a, as a chiropractor, number five is proper nervous system function. Understanding chiropractic is not about fixing back pains and putting a bandaid on your neck pain and so forth, is that, you know, your brain communicates with 
through the entire body through the nervous system. And when you maintain that nervous system at an optimal level, then, I mean, organs function better. I mean, you stronger immune systems. I mean, the best, you know, this, the best athletes in the world all get regular care, but they're all interdependent on one another as well. So for instance, that's great that you're eating the proper nutrients, okay? But if that organ's not functioning properly, you're, you're never going to see optimal results. You know, that's great that you might be, you know, exercising regularly, but if you're not getting the proper sleep to allow the body to then recuperate from that exercise, again, you're going to run into a problem. They're all interconnected. You know, this as an athlete for sure that the the whole mental aspect of any sport you know that you're playing so you could have you could have a spine and nervous system that's great you could be in fantastic shape you know if your mind isn't there you know it's not happening Right. And but people like to pick one or two. They think, well, I exercise and I try to eat yeah. well. So two, two out of five ain't bad. Exactly, right? Yeah. exactly. Right. right, and I think a lot of us do that. And I, I think I was doing that, especially on the lack of of sleep. And then you start to check off the boxes, and I was like, that that sleep Absolutely. one was a pretty critical factor that I that I was skipping out on. When you talked about uh, the the work that chiropractors do, and you know, looking into the nervous system, I think you mentioned it right. It's not just. I think a lot of people still. If they're not educated, or if the, you know, or if they've just come to certain assumptions, uh, they just see a chiropractor is going in and getting your back cracked, or you know, Absolutely. realignment, and and that's not necessarily the work that's being done. No, not at all. But that's that's funny you mentioned that. It's actually one of the biggest disconnects mm -hmm. with chiropractors and the public is people need to understand there are different types of chiropractors. So if you are someone who believes, hey, I just you know, moved the wrong way in bed and uh, that's what caused my back to go out, you know, quote, unquote, mm -hmm. uh, and, and all you want is your back to go back in, then you're probably not best going to a chiropractor who's going to talk to you about a lifetime of optimal health. That's not what you're looking for. And, and vice versa, if you know, if you may go to someone who says, oh, I'll just put that back in for you and you may miss out on a lifetime of optimal health, but it comes down to, again, what people People, you know what what you need versus what you want type of thing but understand this the spine and the nervous system are like anything else I mean when you were a kid your parents probably took you for dental exams and they took you for eye exams and probably didn't take you for a spinal and nervous system exam and, you know and yet we abuse that every single day I mean look at chronic work postures look at old injuries and we know this the science is very clear on this injuries you could have had where you fell off a swing when you were five years old can come back to haunt you 20 years later you know, and the, you know, and then we wonder why so many people have spinal issues down the road, but we never make the connection. Or if because if a lot of people have it, then we think it's normal. There's nothing normal about that. That's like saying heart disease and cancer are normal. There's nothing normal about it, but we've we've spent decades letting it build and build and build. It's interesting as you were talking about, you know, you're talking about posture and you're talking about how things are, the longevity of certain things. We don't yet have the studies and the information as to what the texting, the computer, the kids on their video games and the kids on their phones. Right? Like what's going to happen 20 years from now when we see the results of what this new generation is dealing with? Because I can imagine you weren't 15 years ago this wasn't on your radar. It is now. Well, the truth is it actually was any good chiropractor. It actually was on our radar. But the reason that it's come up now, you're right. Well, I can see up, bad posture on the computer, but right. our, our handheld devices, it's been the last 10 years that that you're, you're absolutely that it's right. in the hands of kids at a very young age. And uh, Absolutely right. And it's uh, the reason it's becoming so much more in the forefront is, is what you're talking about is so many kids are now. I mean, that's how we entertain a kid these days. Oh, yeah, just look at my iPhone, you know, or, or playing your iPad and so forth. And the reason it's 
become more of the forefront. Good chiropractors have been, have been talking about this for years, but in the last few years, the orthopedic surgeons are starting to see this, where they're starting to see that kids are literally changing the curves in their neck. The, uh, the neurologists are starting to see this, where they've coined the phrase digital dementia, where we now know it actually affects a kid's ability to learn, you know, and yet we keep throwing these things in front of them. And, and absolutely, I mean, uh, you're, you're going to see a generation that are just going to be a mess, you know, down the road, let alone we could get into the whole topic of well, you know, EMF and so forth. EMF. You know, uh, well, what you're talking about is, is all the electromagnetic frequencies that are coming from the iPhones and the computers and holding it that close to your brain. And I know that used to be, again, sort of on the fringe a while ago. We now know that to be cancer causing. And that's that's straight out of the World Health Organization and so forth. So this is not this is not, uh, you know, questionable anymore. We, down the road, we're going to see a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, diseases and increases in everything from spinal problems to cancer to, you know, all due to our love of, of technology. Can you sit here right now and give me, I don't know, three to five tips that you would suggest if you had a patient in the office that you saw sitting in your waiting room with their head down, their phone in, uh, what what are your tips to people then? Or how do you try to fix the situation if it's not that you're just simply coming in and doing an, an adjustment or something? Yeah. The, well, the biggest thing is, is the most difficult is just don't be on your phone so much. I mean, you know, when I... I love to hike, right? And I'm amazed the number of people I see hiking who are on their phone. I mean, I'm out there in nature. Why? Why do I need to be on my phone? Why do I need to be looking at Facebook if I if I'm looking over a beautiful vista, you know, and a valley and so forth? That is the toughest thing. So it's estimated that you know a kid or adult is looking at that device somewhere between two and four hundred times a day. So that's that's just crazy. Um, I don't know if you know. Um, uh, Timothy Ferris, who wrote the yes, four-hour yes, work yes. week. So his idea, uh, sort of on the same vein, was when it comes to email, for instance, if you want to get off your computer, you know, if you if you email him, you'll get an autoresponder that says, you know, so uh, thank you so much for emailing me, uh, but I only respond to emails on Thursdays between noon and 1230. And, he's, and he would say it's amazing the number of people that don't email him anymore, and he hasn't lost any information. So number one is if you can, just get off it. Number two is, you know, stop falling. If you want to get into the EMF, stop falling asleep with this device beside your head and so forth. Keep it a further distance and so forth. You know, number three, try to maintain the neck in proper posture instead of looking down. Right. Get- so it's bringing the phone up to eye level rather than our necks bending down. Well, and, that's, that- and it's really interesting because if you did that, you would then start to see how your arm and hand would start to get tired. And so the same thing's happening to your neck, but because the neck tends to hang, you don't notice that, you know, as much or feel it as much, but you're still doing the damage. So if you really want a good indication of how much you're on this phone, on this iPhone or iPad or whatever, start holding that up so that the head is not forward like that. Uh, and you'll, you'll actually, you know, you'll start to see just how much you're on that phone. And then of course there are things you do to counteract that, whether that's chiropractic care, certainly postural exercises, you know, and, and so forth. What about the fingers? Like I'm sure your wrists and thumb you're, from you're, holding and from sc- yes. scrolling. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be funny, right. but I'm assuming that you've had people come in with sore wrists and thumbs. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department. 
designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had one patient in particular who came in and uh, for the type of work she was doing, not just from the phone and the computer, uh, but all 10 fingers were like that. And and the answer that she got from her medical doctor was they wanted to do surgery on each of those 10 fingers one at a time. And I know it's I know the, the, your listeners can't see the look you're giving me right now. And you're, you're absolutely right. And it was crazy. They had, they had actually done the surgery on one of them already. And there are many other ways to deal with that. So needless to say, we took care of that and she didn't need the other nine surgeries. Um, but it, it can it can get to that extent where, you know, we we all think of injury as um, I explain this when I do my ergonomic workshop is we all think of injuries as a great deal of force over a split second of time. So as the athlete, you would have mm-hmm. a fall or a, like a as break. a weightlifter, you know, and so forth. But we see far more injuries exactly the opposite, where it's a very small amount of force, but it's over a very prolonged period of time and it will catch up. You know, and that doesn't mean you have to sit in your plastic bubble and not do anything, but we're just doing this to such an incredible extent that that our bodies will be paying for it down the road. Uh, I had uh, Dr. Rob Govro in here, sports medicine doctor, not long ago, uh, talking about, you know, people still coming in looking for the quick fix, right? Mm-hmm. They want the ultrasound or they want the interferential, you know, Absolutely. come in and put the machine on and make it all better. And how it's going back to mobility, mm-hmm. right? In that, and it's mobility the right way. So you're referring to this as people could be doing this small, minute thing mm-hmm over a longer period. And so it's shifting going back. So how do you then, how do you try to be able to find the root cause? Well, that's, uh, that's actually one of the key things that I think we do so differently in, in my center than most is we do such a thorough exam where because of my background, I can meld my chiropractic background with my rehab background, with my sports background, with my nutrition background. And we look at things from so many different angles and understand that the body works as a whole, that there's certainly, you understand a, a kinetic chain as well. So if someone comes in with a knee, you know, you're absolutely right. A patient says, well, throw some ultrasound on my knee. I would never throw ultrasound. I would be negligent not to understand there's a kinetic chain where I have to be looking at the foot. I have to be looking at the hip, you know, at, at the bare minimum. And it's, it's funny. We talk about what patients need versus what they want. I've had the rare patient who would then say, well, what are you doing looking at my hip? It's just my knee, you know, and, and getting them to understand the difference. And then you're absolutely right. As you're talking about, you, you call it mobility. I, I call it function. We want to restore normal function. So pain is your body's, your, a pain or a symptom is your body's last way of telling you there's something wrong. And then what do we do in society? Well, we try to mask it or we, you know, that's why Tylenol is a billion dollar drug. We try to ignore it or hope it goes away or we think, well, if we don't use it, you know, well, then we don't hurt. So it must be okay. And to me, that's like a Three Stooges movie. It's like, doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. Well, don't go like that. You know, doctor, doctor, it hurts in these three places. Don't go to those three places. If you restore a function to the body, uh, normal function to the body, it's, it's amazing. Like, understand good chiropractors are bigger believers than anyone that the body has an incredible ability to heal itself. But that's provided you're doing the right things to help it heal and that the body's working the way it should be. It's one of one of the biggest con- uh, misconceptions people have is this idea that time's going to heal everything. And this idea that time heals everything, 
you know, is, is ludicrous because I, I can give you two beliefs that society has as a whole. And if we put them together, they make no sense whatsoever. So we have this belief that, that time's going to heal everything. The only place that's true is in a romance novel okay, where time heals all wounds because all time does is just allow stuff to fester in there because we also have this belief that we're all supposed to get worse and sick as we get older. And well, if you put those two together, then we should all get better as we got older, as more time passes. And neither one of those is true. It's actually restoring the body back to its proper function. And if you do that, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I don't know if you ever noticed when you were in my center in, in the World Exchange Plaza, I have this huge painting that was commissioned, uh, that I commissioned for the office. And there's a saying on there, which is one of my favorite sayings from Hippocrates. And a lot of people may not know Hippocrates was considered the father of medicine over 2000 years ago. And his, his quote was that humans were designed to be healthy as long as they are whole body, mind, and spirit. People are characterized by self-healing properties that come from within and an innate health force. Perfect health harmony is a normal state for all life. So how is it that the father of medicine knew that 2000 years ago, talking about this self-healing, the body's innate health force and so forth. And today we have a system like, oh, it hurts there. Well, you know, just hurts when you play that sport. Don't play that sport anymore. Oh, you know, here, take the Tylenol, you know, and, and so forth. It's, it's just gotten so far away. And for those who really want to invest in our health, and I think we were starting, I think society's starting to realize there's no greater asset than your health. You know, I, I talked at the start about my parents and, you know, my dad in his later years, he would tell you that his health, which, which sounded so hypocritical to me at the time, but he, he finally realized that his health was by far his most important, you know, asset. And, and we tend to ignore that, you know, when we're younger or we've just been taught wrong or, or what we're willing to accept or the action we're willing to take. With that being said, do you believe in the possibility to to change and to alter the path that we're on and that you can age. Like I am trying to age. Like I want to feel better five years from now than I do now. Right. Like I'm trying to, I look at aging in that I, there's still so much more that I can do and that I can be able to give to my body. Can you switch that mindset of someone who's in their fifties and hasn't been active and healthy and still say to them, you could have another 30 years of feeling way better than you have the first 50. Well, let me is ask it you possible? a question. Absolutely. Is, is the first answer. So, I mean, this is something I talk about in a number of my books, what I call the health continuum where we're all eventually moving towards death, unless you believe in quantum physics and then, you know, our energy fields will live. <laughs> I, I, I cannot and, go in, into and that. So and we have an hour. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, um, but we have a huge say in how quickly we move towards that end or that we don't. And you know, this, I mean, I can give you many examples is, um, you know, uh, they've done studies with groups of centurions. So these are people a hundred years of age and older who began weightlifting programs and actually saw positive changes. Um, I'll tell you a story about one of my patients. Uh, this was a guy who, of all the patients I've seen, uh, so we're talking, I think, you know, I mean, I've seen one of the previous world's fastest men. I've, I've seen Olympic gold medal sprinters. I've seen many professional Olympic athletes and so forth. Of all of those people, the guy that I considered to be my best in shape patient was none of these guys. He was just a guy who, who loved to run. And so he would run marathon after marathon after marathon. And then he got bored of running marathons. So he decided to seek out some of the toughest races in the world. So I don't mean just, you know, doing a triathlon and I don't want to belittle triathlon. No, no, means. Yeah. But he would do like the death races. And he would do kind of... 300 miles through the jungles of Korea and, and that sort of thing. And then uh, one day he came into my office and he uh, this was after he, he had done the equivalent of a marathon every day 
for 20 days in a row across part of the Sahara Desert in 55 degree Celsius weather. So for guys of my age, that's 131 Fahrenheit. But the reason I like telling this story is he came back and he said at age 43, he was by far in the best shape of his life. And there seemed to be no upward limit to how much better he could get. And he said there wasn't a single one of these races that he did, that there wasn't some guy in his 60s or 70s who passed him. And so this this idea that, you know, so will it eventually happen? Sure. Okay. But you now see, you know, not to quote Facebook, but you see, you see the, uh, you know, things on Facebook where, you know, 100 is, you know, 100 is the new 60, you know, and this mm-hmm. sort of thing. And we know people who are, I mean, I used to quote people like Banana George, who were still, you know, barefoot water skiing at age 83, or, or Sam Gallus, who was running But these were people that were, are, okay. But my question is because these are people that lived and breathed these sports, these activities through most of their lives. So, right. right? So it was innately in them, just like it's, Mm -hmm. it's innately in me that, that I, that my favorite part, as you said, enjoy and actually is my favorite part of the day. I'm talking about switching a mindset or a thought process that people who are thinking that they're sitting here in pain, Mm -hmm. they're not eating well, they're inflamed, they've got IBS, Mm -hmm. like, you know, let's just go through the whole gamut to be able to say to them, you can feel better and age better and live longer, Mm -hmm. even now by making changes. It's not, it's not too late. That's correct. And you raise, you raise a great point. So this gets back to what I was saying right at the start. I I believe my biggest and most important book was, you know, Healthy Beliefs, Daily Choices, where it comes back to their mindset. So you're dealing with two things. So from a scientific point of view, yes, these people can change. It's never too late. You can start weight training when you're, when you're a hundred, you can see those changes. The difficulty for a lot of those people is whatever mindset they've had up to that point in time was the mindset that got them to the point where they're at right now. So they've got to wrap their heads around that. So can we give them the teaching, the education, the coaching and so forth? Absolutely. But it still becomes within their hands. So that gets back to, again, a need versus a want almost in, in a way is can it be done? Yes. And I, and I have, have you seen it? it? Like, let me. Yeah. Have you had Absolutely. a patient that's come in mid 50s? In just in pain, you know, depleted, mentally mm-hmm. drained, physically hurting everywhere and seeing a massive change. Absolutely. It is. It is. Absolutely. It's possible. But again, it, it does take that effort off that patient and that mindset change, you know, and, and some people just simply aren't open to it. You know, just yet it's, it's no really different. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people who've been struggling to lose, you know, 30 pounds for years and years and years and years. And then just one day they suddenly do it, you know, and did anything really change, you know, from what they knew nutritionally, probably not, but something just finally clicked where they were then ready to make that. I was at a, I was at a conference uh, last month and there was a really interesting stat uh, out of one of the psychology journals that said that even, uh, even when it comes to, you know, doctors coaching their patients and so forth is that, uh, that 90% was what was, was, was actually the relationship with the coach and only 10% was really the information they were giving them. You know, so whether that's finally making a connection with someone who can understand where you're coming from or finally showing you a different approach or a different way to achieve that or getting something to click, you know, in, in your head where you're finally willing to make those changes, you know, but, but the, it gets back to what you were saying. We're all looking for the quick fix. You know, it's, 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 the same. it's, it'd be like someone who's, who comes into my office with, you know, the stereotypical 20 years of back pain, you know, well, doc, can you fix me in one adjustment? You know, I mean, that's like saying, I'm going to eat one salad and I'm going to lose, you know, 20 pounds, you know, or I just need to.
to work out once and I'll be, I'll be fine. It's a, it's a lifestyle change that you have to be willing to, you know, undertake. And, and the other thing is you don't need to look so far into the future. I mean, that's it as people see the task. They get overwhelmed. So they do. They get overwhelmed at the change. So for, for some of them, it's easier as, as bad a situation as they're in, it's easier for them to stay where they are than the overwhelm of, of making those changes. So that then you get back to what we were talking about is you don't go out and decide I'm going to go for a run today because I have to exercise. You decide I'm going to go enjoy myself today, whatever activity I want. You're going to decide I'm going to have a healthy meal. You know, right now I'm not going to worry, you know, oh, I've got to eat healthy for the next 20 years. No, just eat healthy today. Just do it today. I mean, we, we know this. We know that most of our health is really our habits. You know, it's, it's what you do on a daily basis, you know, that makes those changes. But it's that day after day after day after day after day. So really, if you can change those habits, which have been unfortunately become so ingrained, because then you'll, you'll read that too. You'll read things like, well, it only takes 21 days to change a habit. Well, guess what? It takes a lot less than that to go back to the old habit <laughs> because you've been doing that for a lot longer and so forth. But to, to answer your question, yes, it is very possible. You know, but uh, sometimes more difficult than uh, for some than others. Right. And I think for some, it's, you know, longevity and living. And, you know, if you're feeling good, it's about living this way and feeling this good and feeling healthy longer. And was, we're seeing that people are living longer, but we're also seeing disease creep in a lot earlier. And yes. so for me, it's about looking at illness now, mm -hmm. about what it what we can do to start preventing illness and, and onset of certain illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you see that? Well, that's, that's something I've been talking about in terms of, of the definition of health. So, you know, I found a National Health Day, well, some 15 years ago now. And just understanding what the word health actually means. So, I mean, health, there is a dictionary definition to the word health. So, and not surprisingly, it sounds very uh, similar to what Hippocrates talked about 2,000 years ago, where health is the optimal state of physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So, the actual dictionary definition of the word health you know, tells us the fact that you're not in pain or don't have a disease doesn't make you healthy. But again, we have a so-called healthcare system that has been built around that. It's like, you know, even you said it, how to, how to prevent cancer, how to prevent heart disease, how to prevent this. And the truth is optimal health goes beyond prevention because prevention is saying, I don't want to get the bad stuff. Optimal health goes beyond that. Optimal health says, look, if everything is functioning at, at the level that it should be, then I don't really even need to worry about the diseases, um, you know, which is, which is, you know, uh, interesting. I mean, that's, that's the thing we're, we're looking for the cure for this and the cure for that and the cure for this. And the truth is the cures are very similar. You know, I mean, that's the interesting thing. If I, if I show you how to, you know, reverse your type two diabetes, you're also going to lose weight. Your heart's also going to function better. You're probably going to have less brain fog, you know, and, and so forth. So, I mean, that's, that's the neat thing is we want to keep putting it to one disease where really good overall health encompasses all of those five keys to health. And, and if you do that, it's amazing the changes that you can make in people's lives. I, I like that domino effect, right? You uh, take uh, the type two diabetes, uh, you feel good, and you start to lose weight. You start to lose weight. You get a healthy heart. You start to do that. Absolutely. You get the brain fog. I and I, I like that. It's that. It's that optimal health. It's not the prevention. It's it's being able to optimize. It, it goes beyond that. I mean, I tell the story where probably twenty years ago, I, I had this chart that what I call the health continuum. You know, on my lap, I was working on a, on a lecture on an airplane. And the guy sitting beside me was one of the head of one of the cancer research institutes out here in Ottawa. And he looks over at this chart and he saw that optimal health was, you know, above prevention. And he looks at it and he points at it and he says to me, he says, that's very interesting. You don't normally see that on a chart like that. I mean, that they had no concept of, of what optimal health is all about. Their 
they're working on prevention and they're working on prevention because unfortunately so many people have so many diseases now. So we can't just say, okay, well, we'll just all be super optimally healthy. We have to deal with <laughs> all the people yes. who obviously have the diseases and so forth. But I, I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound um, really selfish and it's not meant to be that way at all. The best thing that you can do to prevent any disease whatsoever, if you want to help people get, you know, and I don't know if you're going to get letters or phone calls, so please take Well, I'm going to direct them towards you. There, there you go. So whether you want to, you know, uh, prevent heart disease or cancer or diabetes or whatever it is, you know, in, instead of, um, you know, thinking we're going to find some magical cure down the road, the best thing society could do to prevent any of these diseases is to do all the things to make sure you don't get it yourself. And because that's that's the power that we have. You know, we, we now know that, you know, of the vast majority of heart disease is preventable. We know that the majority of, you know, of cancer is preventable. And you know, remember, as, as I said, when I was talking about my mom and my dad, I mean, my dad had, you know, three different forms of cancer. And my mom obviously must have had cancer as well, or what she attributed, you know, saving her life to. And, and my dad, when he, uh, he went in to the hospital for what he thought was a virus, and he had, uh, and it turns out he had colon cancer. And he had five different doctors uh, tell him he needed emergency surgery. And if he didn't get emergency surgery, he would be dead within three weeks. And then he had three other doctors who told him, whatever you do, don't get the surgery because you won't survive the anesthetic. So caught between a rock and a hard mm -hmm. place, obviously. He didn't get the surgery in his later, not till maybe two, three years later, uh, and then still survived for a number of years, you know, after that. And so as bad as my dad was, I mean, you know, through no fault of his own, growing up in Poland during the war and, you know, all his health choices and two packs of cigarettes a day. And the last 10 or 20 Did years, you, it was like, he has a son who's well, searching for optimal health. Well, how, how, where was the overlay or well, the that, overlap? That's what I was going to say in the, in the last 10 to 20 years of his life, he would be taking all my vitamins. He would be getting adjusted. He'd be doing all these things. And he ended up living to 90, you know, for someone who I thought was going to die when he was, you know, in his fifties type of thing. So there's a, you, you asked the question, there was a, you got to him a little if, late, but you got to him when you could. And so if, if my dad could actually live to 90 with the, with the history of the health history that he did, it's never too late, you know, for anyone. And so you also raised an interesting point. What we're talking about is, is not simply quantity. We want quality of life. I mean, I, one of the things I do is I ask my patients how, you know, how old do they want to be when they die? And I've been telling people for years, I'm, I, my plan is to die at 140. And people look at me like, well, okay, you've just lost all credibility. Well, the truth is we've known for years that the, the best scientists say that we should, at the, right now we should be able to live to 120 but at the level of an athletic 65-year-old. And we all know 65-year-olds can run marathons. We can and so get forth. to 120? That's right. So, and if we can do that now, well, then I don't want to settle for that. I want to go beyond that. And, and I may change my mind when I hit 139. You know, but you don't want to live to 120. Okay, I'm sorry, but I, I want to repeat that. Absolutely. We can get to 120. Like Scientists. in this, in this, and when, the next couple decades no, like already. what are you thinking we are we, we, we i don't know they, 120 year olds there's a couple that you see in these documentary specials in the amazon i, I believe there's one who just just 
died uh, in the past few weeks at 118, I believe. But if you want to, if you want to start looking at different places in the world, uh, there are. Well, there are yes. absolutely. And what's the only difference? Okay? The only difference is a completely different lifestyle. Getting back to epigenetics yeah. and, and lifestyle and the five keys to health and so forth, you know. And uh, but the answers are not in some new anti-aging drug or or vaccine or things such as that. The answer is is within you. Getting back to Hippocrates from 2,000 years ago, um, but. The that's something that requires effort on a regular basis. And that doesn't mean that, again, I want you eating rice cakes and drinking distilled water. That's actually a terrible way to stay, to stay healthy. But just making intelligent decisions on a daily basis over and over and over and over again and understanding that you have the power to do that. Um, you know, there's a, you know, contrast that to uh, to a commercial that I've I've been talking about in some past lectures, where I think I think it was the Heart and Stroke Foundation that put out this commercial, uh, but it, it said that the average Canadian will spend the last ten years of their life in pain and suffering, and I mentioned that when I was doing a radio interview with a U.S. radio station, and the interviewer said to me, he says, "Are you kidding? In the U.S., it's not the last ten years; it's the last twenty years." Like, why would you want to go through your entire life to then spend the last 20 years in pain and suffering? You know, why would you rather not want to be the person who's living to 120, but at the level of an athletic 65-year-old? So that doesn't mean if you're if you're 90, we don't expect you to suddenly go buy some running shoes when you can't even put them on and so forth. But just start to make small changes, start to do things, start to understand that there are things within your control, start to make, you know, start to eat healthier, get out for a walk, things such as that. But if you do all these things, I mean, just that's one of the things that, that we actually strive for in some of my older patients is I'm not looking to make them into marathon runners. I don't need them to be, Sam, you know, Sam Gadless, you know, but then understand with someone like him who's running marathons at age 91, that's not genetics. He has to get out there and actually do that run, you know. Um, but I just want them to have, you know, just to have more mobility to, to know it's not going to hurt to put a jacket on, that they can actually able to tie their shoes, that they can actually still enjoy, you know, what's going on. But it is, it's all within you know, within our ability to do that. I, I love this. Well, I love too that my mindset has shifted a bit to this 120 and feeling like well, I'm well, 65. No, but at least it gives me, and I think for a lot of people, it gives us a different outlook. Well, and that's, I, I agree 100% because that's one of the things that I try to do different in our center is I appreciate when someone leaves my health center, may, they may run into Dr. Brown who may say something completely opposite to what I say. Or you know this, you can read two so-called scientific studies and we could spend another hour or two talking about the science and, and scientific studies and so forth. And but how who, they who, contradict who, each exactly. other. Exactly. So study A says this and study B says exactly the opposite. So one of the things that I really try to do is, is it's one of the reasons why I never stop learning and why I start, you know, you know, becoming things like orthomolecular nutritionists and so forth, is I want to know the science. I want to know the good science. So, so I mean, that's that was, um, I think that was book number five. It was the science of vitamins meets optimum health and common sense. So the idea is, you know, just take, I, I want to be able to explain things to a patient in a way that I know is purely based on the science, based on the physiology, the chemistry, but also in a way that they can understand it as well. And that empowers them to know that they can make those changes, you know, because you're absolutely right. If you're overwhelmed or if you feel hopeless, mm -hmm. we deal with a lot of that. People, I, I deal with a lot of patients who, when they come to me, it's like, oh, I've tried everything, you know, and then, and you know, I'll, I'll examine them. We'll go through everything. And then there are five or six different things that I'll recommend for them of which they've tried none of them. But they may have been to 10 different people, you know, because, we, you know, you know this, you know, the saying is that if you go to a carpenter, you know, he's going to use a hammer and nails. If you go to a butcher's house for dinner, you know, expect to eat meat that night. I mean, we have our blinders and our blockers on and there's absolutely nothing wrong with people specializing mm -hmm. in one particular thing. 
but that's not the way the human body works. It's this all encompassing. So you need a team of people that are going to tell you the truth, but that, that you can trust, you know, and, and have that integrity. And if you do that, the impairment is, is great. I mean, that's what I said right at the start is I truly believe the word doctor means teacher because it's not, it's not what I do for you in the center. It's, it's the information mm -hmm. I can give you and then the action you can take after that. What were some of the, the healthy choices, the deadly beliefs? Like what were, did I say that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like what were some, can you pinpoint like two things that a lot of the times people thought? Well, let me, mind. well, sure. If you want to do a test and I, okay. I know this is difficult on, on a podcast to do a test, um, but your, your listeners can be sitting at a desk when they do this. So we give, you know, we give people a list. So I'm going to give you a list of, um, of six or seven things here. So if I was talking to you, I want, if, if you were to, your listeners take out a piece of paper and write down things such as, uh, you know, their job or career, their health their spouse, their family, their house, you know, their car, you know, write those things down. Okay. And then label them from, you know, from, from one to six in terms of, you know, what was most important to them. And people usually take a couple minutes to do that and they'll, they'll, they'll list those things. And then I ask them to go through that same list again and now label them okay, in order of priority for what they actually invest the most time trying to achieve. And if those two things don't connect, if you tell me, oh, my health is my most important thing, but it's the thing that you put the least amount of time or effort into, you're never going to achieve that. So, I mean, that's number one when mm -hmm. you talk about health, beliefs, daily choices, just that disconnect of, of where you're actually investing your time, you know, and so forth. Another big disconnect are your thoughts. So it's, it's estimated that the average person has 60,000 conscious thoughts in a day. You know, the only problem for most of them is 59,000. Those were the same thoughts you had the day before, you know, and, uh, and then uh, apparently the old joke is if you're a guy, it's only one thought just 60,000 times over. <laughs> right. But, uh, um, um, but then those thoughts can be broken down where, you know, 40% of those are about the past, which you can't change 30% about the future, which hasn't happened yet. You know, 10% uh, are, are doubts or worries that you have that are you know, pretty much useless, you know, another, another 10 to 12% are, are thoughts about your health, you know, which you don't really need to, you know, go over in your mind over and over. You just need to take action. So if you look at that 92% of the thoughts that run through your head really don't really serve a purpose, you know, and imagine if on a daily basis, your thoughts, and again, this is not simply talking about affirmations, but imagine if on a, on a daily basis, you were just grateful for what you'd achieved as opposed to, you know, uh, complaining about the guy who cut you off on the way to work, you know, uh, have you read, have you read the untethered soul? Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. So, I yeah. just finished it. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was, it was quite profound. I, I was going to talk about that in one of my newsletters because like, I had just finished it and trust me, like there was like four things that went wrong this morning, well, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, even before I got here and I, and I, having just finished the book, I'm like, you know what? The whole letting go, like there's nothing Nothing I can do. Yep. So let's just let let it, it pass. It, it is. It's the, the phrase I use. <laughs> um, is you're letting someone live in your head rent free. Yes, yeah. but but I have been very cognizant of the the extra the roommate that I have living in my head. You know, doing all the talking all right. the time. But but that, that that's also the same thing. So a lot of disease now as well. Mm -hmm. You know, stress has been tied into all this disease. And look at how stress has changed. I mean, the whole stress response, the whole fight or flight. You know, went back. You know, went back to the time when e either you were hunting the animal or the 
the animal was hunting you, you know, and then we needed that, you know, that fight or flight response. Now our, our stress is if someone pushes an extra button on the elevator by mistake, you know, and so it's forth. So true. You know? You're so and, annoyed. And, and I, you are I, so annoyed. Yeah. Well, Where I, the kids come in and they push all the buttons. I, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I yeah. heard, I heard, I think uh, on the radio just yesterday or, or day before is someone was saying, well, you know, look how, look how the closed door button on the elevator is starting to be worn out because everyone wants to close the door so quickly, you know, they can't spend the extra second or two to let it close on its own, you know. <laughs> The newest book, The Science of Brain Health, and I thought this was interesting. It's the underlying the seven, the simple seven step solution to prevent the nightmare of Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we are talking about, hopefully being that person that gets to one twenty, feeling like they're sixty five. Absolutely. Why? Why this book now, and especially with the background? Like, I thought it was an interesting choice. Do you want the, the whole story on that or uh, where I, what I really wanted, you know, I hold a fellowship in vitamin supplementation. So, you know, again, I don't like to speak on a topic unless I really know it well, especially again, as we were saying, because there's so much misinformation out there. And so book number five was, was the science of vitamins meets optimal health and common sense. And I really wanted to follow a book to that. So I, I was going to write on brain health as a whole. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the more I looked into that and then the more as an orthopedic like nutritionist, as and going through those studies as well, I realized this would be a set of encyclopedias, which, which is, you know, just crazy. And for all you young listeners, encyclopedias were things we used to have in, in the library, which is a place you used to go when you needed information and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, so then I decided I would break it down to Alzheimer's, concussion, and depression. Because, again, those were, you know, three very common things we're seeing that we mm -hmm. don't necessarily have very good answers to. And I could tie all those three in to one another. I mean, we know people with more concussions are more likely to get Alzheimer's and so forth. Um, you know, and then even that seemed overwhelming. So I decided on Alzheimer's with the idea that I would then actually follow with concussion and depression at a later date. And then Alzheimer's sp specifically, because think of what we've been talking about. I've been, you know, we talk about how to prevent heart disease. We talk about how to prevent cancer. And then even if you're really good at doing that, what do you end up with? You end up with Alzheimer's, you know, and, and what people don't realize. I mean, it's a it's a nasty disease. You know, the, the phrase I use is you die before you die you know, where you're that entire life of memories and everything else, those are lost, you know? And, uh, I mean, that's, that's just crazy. And, and the stats, I mean, when I tell you the first stat, the younger listeners will say, well, then I don't need to worry about that. We now know that if you hit age 85 and we're both living to, you know, 120 to 140 right, now, absolutely now, that by 85, you have, it's, it's a flip of a coin. It's, it's pretty much a 50, 50 chance that you'll have Alzheimer's. Um, and if you think about that, if you have a spouse, well, that means hundred percent that either you will have Alzheimer's or you'll be caring for your spouse with Alzheimer's. And then you think, well, okay, well, I don't need to worry about that. That's 85. That's way down the road. Well, that's first of all, as we've been talking, that's a terrible approach to take. But what we also know is, you know, that's that's when it's 100% that it's either you or your spouse. We now know that Alzheimer's is starting in your 50s or 60s, where the symptoms, you know, are, are where you, when you're being diagnosed. We know early Alzheimer's uh, can start in your 30s. And we also know, or we should know, the science tells us that, again, just like the heart disease, just like the cancer, is this disease begins 15 to 20 years uh, before you're diagnosed with this. So the time to be concerned about Alzheimer's is when you're in your 20s, you know, but again, we think it's so far off. We think it's so far away. But then again, don't necessarily think about it that way. Don't think about, hey, I don't want to get Alzheimer's. Think about it. Hey, I want optimum brain function. 
And why would you not? Why would you not want to get rid of the brain fog? Why would you not want to be someone who thinks clearer? Why would you not want to be someone who makes better decisions? You know, uh, and then all the things that that plays, I mean, that makes you, you know, a better parent, a better student, a better athlete and, and, and so forth. And then if you want scary, another one of the things in, you know, in the book is, I don't know if your listeners have any idea of the lapse there is between when good science actually shows something to be scientifically, you know, uh, you know, uh, strong and when it actually shows up in, in everyday, you know, care in a, in a doctor's office, any idea how long that takes? I'm going to take an honest guess of 10 to 15 years. That's a pretty close guess, right? 17 years. And so, I mean, things, and you know, and I don't mean this to sound self-serving, but I've, I've said this to my patients many times is I'll see the number of times that I'll see a, a lead story on a, on a TV news, you know, channel or front page of a newspaper was something I was talking about 15, 20 years ago, you know, but sometimes, you know, again, getting back way back to what, you know, whether you need or what you want is sometimes people just weren't ready for that information back then, which is unfortunate because I mean, it's taking 17 years just to become to the forefront where it's being accepted. And then it still may take another two or three years before it becomes commonplace in a doctor's office. So as I've said before, how the field of knowledge is changing, you know, every mm -hmm. four years, you know, the way you're getting cared for in most doctor's offices right now is what we may have known 20 years ago, you know, and, and that's not the way that I want to live mm -hmm. my life. You know, it's, we, we've been misled to believe that it's bad genes, bad germs, bad luck, you know, and, and it's not, it's mostly what we do on a daily basis. I love that. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that people who are seeking out the information, and I think if you're tuning in to living your life, Absolutely. you're tuning in because you are aware that there is information that you might not be getting or topics mm -hmm. that you're interested in that just aren't mainstream things that you're talking about with your doctor, with your health professional Absolutely. or with the, you know, people around your dinner table. So hopefully if they're listening to this, they're, mm. they're open-minded to this information that's out there with the book that we were just talking about. And you, you talk about simple steps. What would be right now, five things that you would say when you're talking about the brain fog or you're talking about right. in your twenties and thirties to be preventative. And I mean, I know we've hit on the five mm -hmm. core things, right. Of exercise and food and right. sleep and, right. and mental health, you know, and, nervous the nervous system being right. in alignment mm -hmm. where else are you going to offer up one of, one of the one of the first things that you need to do is uh, is you know it, it depends are you looking for optimal brain function or are you looking to prevent alzheimer's so if you're looking well, we all know we want the optimal health thing all, all so, around. Because that's it. Because what, what uh, you know, uh, in the book we talk about this where, you know, part of the problem with Alzheimer's and we talk about how, you know, we're, we're 17 to 20 years behind the time is we still don't have a right on Alzheimer's. It was actually Dr. Alzheimer, that's where the term comes from, you know, had a dementia patient more than 100 years ago. And when this patient died, he cut open her brain and found a whole bunch of plaques around the brain and said, oh, well, this must be, you know, it's obviously all these plaques are what killed her. It must be, you know, we're going to call it Alzheimer's and this is what you have. And they've spent over 100 years with, you know, with drugs and vaccines trying to get ways to, you know, to deal with the with the, the plaques and the tangles and so forth. And... Uh, 
And we now know that's that's simply not true. The fact that you saw plaques doesn't mean that's what actually caused you know caused the problem in the first place. We now know there are six main factors to Alzheimer's, and thirty six subsections to that based on the science. And so, if you want to prevent Alzheimer's, you you know the number one thing is to diagnose which of those or which combination of those are the ones that are causing more of that problem. It's so much easier to fix a problem if you actually know what's going on in there. But you know, so A would be you know correcting which of those is, is, is the factor. And again, usually a combination. And it ties into everything we've been talking about, that health is all-encompassing. So it's not just one thing. There's not just one hole in that bucket. But what you're talking about makes, again, perfect sense, is if we strive for optimal brain function, then you're right. It is. It does really come back to the five keys. So whether you're, you know, whether you're talking uh, nutrition, there's all sorts of vitamin supplementation. That's one of the causes of Alzheimer's is we're simply lacking very specific okay. nutrients. What are function. the three foods you have that you that you make a point let's go personal so for you you right. know what are what are three things that you constantly three, consume three biggest things you can do is, is people simply need to eat more fat so now we're sort of getting into a ketogenic diet um, that's a whole different topic mm -hmm. because I know the world is crazy about uh, about the keto diet. We now know there are some issues staying on keto long term. Mm -hmm. So I know there are people who've lost a great deal of weight on keto, and that's uh, that's great. It's not ideal to stay on keto long term, but it is good for everyone to actually getting more fat in the diet. All, all the studies that went back 50 years ago that fat was terrible and caused heart disease, we now know those were not only wrong. We know that the, the scientists were actually paid to blame fat instead of sugar, you know, back then and so forth. So start eating more fat. I mean, eat an av avocado is a fantastic thing to eat. I was at a conference this year where I, where I uh, met uh, David uh, Avocado Wolf. So really nice guy. But this guy, he has his name because he has he has these place he has a. Uh, gardens full of avocados like just you know acres and acres and acres and acres avocados fantastic i mean get into your olive oils you know start getting your essential fatty acids you know and so forth so from a you know from food perspective just more fat you know av avocados you know uh, cold pressed virgin olive oil and so forth you need to supplement so supplementation you know it could be anything from your b vitamins to your choline to you know to all sorts of things and the studies are all quite clear you know on that and understanding that as you age so getting back to what we we're talking about before the body will stop producing certain things while well, you need to supplement that okay? so the word vitamin supplementation doesn't mean vitamin replacement it doesn't mean go eat a mcdonald's eight times a week because you take your vitamins you know it means you're supplementing what you simply can't get you know, out of your diet anymore. You know, 10,000 years ago was when it was estimated we were getting the proper nutrients out of the soil, you know, and the food. 10,000 you know, years ago. 10,000 wow. years ago, yeah. right? So this idea of people go, well, I don't believe in that. I believe I should be able to get everything I want from a healthy diet. Well, that's a nice belief. And you're, and you're entitled to any belief you want, but you need to appreciate that your beliefs have consequences, whether you believe them, you know, or not. You know, and then uh, and then number three on the list, so if, if I, if I you know, if I talk avocados and olive oil and, and, and so forth, and number two is certainly, you know, vitamin supplementation uh, and understand vitamins work hand in hand. So you don't just take your, you know, you don't just take your vitamin C because you heard it was good for colds. Other you know, vitamins act as cofactors in producing energy in the body. Uh, they, they act hand in hand in regenerating one another. That's a, another reason why a lot of the poor science shows a vitamin isn't effective. It's because it was taken out of context. I mean, that's not the way that the body works or wasn't taken at a therapeutic, you know, dose. And then number three, get back to exercise. I mean, we now know uh, there are a number of scientific studies that show exercise to be more effective than most of the antidepressants on the market, you know, right now, but also fantastic for, you know, for brain health as well. 
you know, it'll, it'll do so many different things. And again, we're getting back to, you know, surprise, surprise. It's really, you know, like I said, whether you, whether you, whether you're, whether you're doing this for brain health or for, guess what? You will, you'll There's also be, domino effect. you'll be healthier. Your heart will be healthier. Your diabetes will be better. Your, your energy levels will be better. You will sleep better, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Science of Brain Health, the latest of the seven books that you have actually put out. It's it's out and I've I see the copy right now. It's it's not for sale because it's just about to come out. I, we've got like the, the only copy right now. When are you expecting that out? It's coming out uh, in the next hopefully in the next couple weeks. Right? <laughs> I'll have people check on, your website on, on Amazon yeah. for sure. Okay, and, uh, and on the website uh, for sure as well. Where do you want people to go for more information? Uh, probably best places. Our main website is uh, excellenceinhealth.com. And we're on the ground floor of the World Exchange Plaza as well. I think most people uh, know that as well. And, um, you know, and yeah, certainly check, uh, you know, it will be on Amazon. Okay. You know, big time. But even if you're looking for more information, if you're looking to be able to come in and have this dialogue and have a discussion, excellenceinhealth.ca. Right. Excellence.com. Uh, Excellence in the house. I used to know that one too, like off by heart. Yeah, <laughs> I used to tag it out with that. Yeah, with the today's the day. Thank you so much, Doug. It's a pleasure to see you again. It was a pleasure. I can't believe that went that. Uh, I'm quicker. telling you, right? I mean, I mean so, our you, listeners should know that all the segments we were doing would be like today's the day had you know like, like we a had two, two minutes. Minute, we had know, two segment. minutes, and that yes. was that was the toughest thing. How do I get in everything I want to say in two minutes? Well, which is know? why we kind of on one subject went. We tried to do like ten, and we I'd, I'd, I'd rotate them in, but. That was the thing for me. On the show, I would have four to five minutes to get these interviews done, right? And especially when it was health and wellness, like, because I loved it and I was passionate right. about it. I would be like, we don't have enough time. Now I have a podcast. I cannot keep it to an hour. I'm getting the, I'm getting the wraparounds now. So I know it's crazy. Listen, I want to congratulate you too. You, you do a fantastic podcast. And Thank you. Uh, you know, you're, you're continuing, obviously, with what has always been true to your heart. Yes. And you're helping, you know, Ottawa as a whole and, and beyond, you know, get healthier, which is always, always a good thing. I appreciate that, Dr. C. It's really great to see you again. Very Thanks nice for being a again. part of it. And as, as you just mentioned, I know you listen and subscribe, so that makes me feel really happy. But please like, share, subscribe, comment, uh, let other friends know that this podcast is out there. I'm looking to make it grow and just be able to help people. And I think that for me has been the best is when people say, I listened, this really helped with this or this would change this aspect of my life. It, it makes it all worthwhile. So that's that's it. That's a wrap of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Have a great day. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast. But we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.